Welcome to Sardisms, where we take great ideas and bring them together to have great conversations. Today, we are very pleased to be with Emma Stewart, the co-founder of TimeWise. Emma has a lot of passion behind the idea of flexible working and helping companies to understand the importance of work-life balance. She currently stands as development director in TimeWise, working with businesses, thought leaders, policymakers, and social reformers to test and scale innovative solutions, which deliver successful, sustainable, two-way flexibility. Welcome, Emma. Thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit about you, your organization, and what you do. Hi, delighted to be here. So I'm Emma Stewart, and I am co-founder of TimeWise, which is a social business. And we've been around for about 15 years, and we help organizations get better at flexible working. And we help people who want to work flexibly to be able to find good quality and flexible jobs. And we're driven by a social mission to ensure that everyone should be able to get the flexibility they need in the workplace without compromising their careers. So as you can imagine, it's been an interesting year for us. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you're also my auntie. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we're allowed to say that, fair enough. I am also your auntie. Please don't make me feel old, Kevin. <laughs> my young auntie. My mum's tiny you. little brother's younger wife. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So what does a flexible workforce mean to you? So what does a flexible workforce mean? It's an interesting question. First, I think it's about defining what flexible working means. And I should say time-wise, um, for many years, we've been talking to businesses to try and help them to understand it. Um, so a flex, flexible working really means three things in our view. It's how much people work. So that's whether it's part-time, whether it's job share. It's when people work. Um, and obviously, critically within frontline industries like the NHS, when means staggered shifts, it might mean rosters, at what point in the day you, you are working or the week or the month. And then the final way we look at it is where people work. And clearly, over this last awful sort of nine months, we've all changed or many of us have changed where we work Um and that essentially means remote working, but but flexible working is far more than remote working. It's how much, when and where. And a flexible workforce, a happy flexible workforce is a workforce that has some control over how much, when and where they work. And the value of that is they should have enhanced well-being. They should have a sense of work-life balance so they can control when they work and how they fit that with everything else in their lives. But it's also really important for organisations because um, being able to flex how much, when and where your people work should ultimately enable you to maximise performance, which is an evolving discussion that takes us away from the sort of we all work nine to five, five days a week, which we know is, is really a thing of the past. And that sweet spot in the middle, if you can get it right for organisations and right for individuals, businesses can attract, retain and, and really maximise people and you get really high performing, engaged workforces. I was curious about your origin. Well, I know a bit about your origin story, but I think it's kind of interesting about kind of like that that moment where the women like us and the and the name women like us and where where that came from is yeah. is interesting and how it morphed and how it became because often we develop products because we see a pain point that we face ourselves so yeah. you know as a professional group of women at, at the school gate i think it was a case of juggling life with child rearing and there was a lot of women like us is that roughly? yeah yeah that, that that I mean so so 15 years ago I so before I did this I was a TV producer um and I worked in um as a charity fundraiser and various other things but very simply I had my first child George um who is now an adult <laughs> um and 
I realized I couldn't do the job that I'd been doing whilst looking after him because I was working on film shoots. I was traveling all over the place. It was great fun, but there was no way I would be able to balance work with, with bringing up a son. And I wanted to do both. And I met my business partner, Karen, and we looked around and initially we work with women like us because we realized there were hundreds of thousands of women like us across the UK who wanted to make sure that they stayed in the workplace, had fulfilling work, were able to progress in work, but were having to compromise because they were fundamentally having to choose to work part time, to work, to be able to balance work and looking after kids. And in choosing to work part time, they were basically fishing in a pool of very low paid jobs because most part time jobs tend to be in the lower salary bands. So we initially decided to do something about it. And we set up Women Like Us really to try and support women back to work and to try and find them good quality flexible jobs. And we've been been consulting for a number of organizations at the time so we had lots of contacts and we actually knew that lots of businesses were looking for really good quality talent and would be prepared to offer some kind of flexibility or part-time working for the right candidate um, and this was a massive untapped talent pool of, of women in our communities that we knew but very quickly we realized it wasn't just women you know men want to work flexibly too and also we realized that the model we had as a startup was a coaching model. Let's coach women who are out of work. It's sort of classic women returners model to see how they could build back their confidence and start thinking about getting back into the labor market. Actually, the most important thing was driving structural change in the jobs market, which was we just needed to find a way to create more good quality part-time flexible jobs. So kind of in a way, what I say now is, you know, let's not fix the women. The women were fine in a way what we needed to do was just stimulate different ways of designing work. So that led us, I mean, in 15 years, we've evolved as an organization from a coaching model through to uh, recognizing we needed to create more good quality flexible jobs. We ran a very simple job site under the Women Like Us brand for a number of years. We didn't charge anyone to begin with because we didn't think to. We just wanted to help women back to work. And then someone said to us, but you've got this great pool of talent. You should be charging businesses to hire them. So then we set up a job site and then we tried a recruitment agency for a while because it's really tough in the recruitment um, world to to run a specialized part-time agency because you're basically getting paid part fee, but you're doing the same amount of work. And then eventually we've evolved into what we do now, which is time-wise. And the three things we do is we do a lot of research, thought leadership, and kind of campaigning around why Flex matters. We run an annual index every year tracking the state of jobs that are open to flexibility from day one, which is kind of the end game for people, men and women who want to work differently. But we've also identified, you know, that this is about pe- not just people with caring responsibilities, but people with life choices. Ninety-two um, percent of millennials just choose flexibility. That's that's really important. Many choose it over um, remuneration. So we do a lot to sort of still raise awareness of the issue, but crucially. Now we run consultancy and training to help employers on that journey from not being open to this to recognising that they need to change their cultures, their behaviours, and also build capabilities to make flexible working work. And then the end game is still through our job site that we make sure that we are unlocking more jobs to flex for people who, who need them because we want to make sure that people have both job job mobility and the ability to work flexibly as well. And so, I mean, we've got about 100,000 candidates on our books at the moment who are looking for a flexible job. And our employer clients range from Google to Tesco to Lloyds Bank to um, many of the big FTSE 500s who just get that they need to embrace this as a business priority. It's not just a nice DNI agenda anymore. And 
importantly, I guess, for this conversation, we work with a number of NHS trusts on this agenda as well. So that's that's the sort of journey from there to here. <laughs> that's the origin story. Wow. I've yeah. got something that you might not realise. I think, and I was reflecting on this the other day, I think your work might have helped create Sard in the first place. Yeah. I, don't, I wouldn't say it was like directly attributable to it. Obviously, we're, we're from the same family. I set up Mango Swiss, which is one of the shareholders of Saad. I was set up with your husband, <laughs> my <laughs> uncle. So it, it's got that basis as well. His ability to chat down the pub and <laughs> get, get working. So yeah. I learned, learned a lot from him. But the <laughs> other side of that relationship, your side, I don't know what it was, but there was a moment where I was thinking about all the software I was trying to develop. And Barbara who is our CTO, was working for Symbian, which is made the operating system for Nokia. She was a developer in, in Java. So she was in the software engineering world. And in a similar situation to you, you know, I had my niece and nephew and was sort of juggling childcare, but was also a software engineer and, and sort of come out of the job market. And I think as a result of sort of talking to you and having those sort of family conversations at Christmas or whatever, it kind of seeped into my psyche. And I remember contacting Barbara and saying, here, have, have these Ruby books. Like when you've dumped the kids off at school, go and learn about this software in this language. Because if you do, we can probably create a lot of software together. And, it, and actually that yeah. flexible working really spun up because uh, in the early days, in fact, they were working in India. And we'd have these like three or four hour time slots. But I think the original inspiration for it was from you. Wow, that's really good to hear. You, did you know it's like a butterfly flaps its wings kind of thing? Yeah. I think you yeah. know. I think you kind of put the idea in my head, and I was like, oh yeah, there's a real untapped resource there in that particular person. But what's great about what you did was you legitimately, genuinely offered Barbara the flexibility she needed. And it's the quid pro quo because you've got her skills and her capabilities and, and her commitment. Oh, it's win-win. And that's yeah. hugely powerful because you offer flexibility and what you get back in return is is not just the ability to attract a far more diverse talent pool, as I said, um, whether it's women or whether it's people that want to sort of do a sort of a portfolio career or whether it's people who want, you know, we've got clients where some of their teams spend six months abroad and it you know or they do compressors or whatever it is you, you know you get great people and they'll stay with you and that's brilliant for organizations that do this um but it's a, a partly a concern because the reason they stay is they look out and they look everywhere else and there aren't that many good quality part-time flexible jobs to apply for still so so you know being an early adopter in this space i mean the, the market's changing every day and but you know we just need more businesses to be able to, to think like that and to recognize that actually they can trust people um, to perform well when they can't see them across the desk. Mm. It, it surprises me that more businesses don't take it up just because it's actually in their interest. You know, that wasn't, no. I'd like to think it was out of the goodness of my heart, but I was also like, <laughs> here's a really good software developer who's, right. who's you know, who's sort of twiddling their thumbs while the kid's at nursery. But it's complicated, it, you know, and I think that's part of the challenge. That's a lot of a lot of the work we do now is to help businesses to kind of work through that because, you know, there are, I mean, in a lot of firms, there are still lots of cultural concerns. I mean, they're changing rapidly and the pandemic's really affected that. But, you know, concerns, particularly at sort of manager level around trust and performance, you know, if I'm managing diverse teams, dispersed teams, rather, how do I know that they're doing what I want them to do? 
but we often conflate sort of issues around performance management management with issues around flexible working. You know, actually, you know, you shouldn't hire someone if you don't trust them, right? I mean, so mm. so there's a whole kind of cultural piece to it. But I think also the, there's a big issue, which is when it comes to sort of management capability, we don't train managers how to manage flexible teams, really. I mean, we did a piece of research a few years ago with the Charter Management Institute. We surveyed about 500 managers and we asked them how often they had a conversation about people's working practices in their teams. You know, when you do an annual review, you're obviously reviewing someone's performance and their objectives and have they done the tasks you asked them to do and have they performed to time, etc. But we don't really talk about and how is the way you're working enabling you to do that? And is the way you're working now still suitable for you and is it still suitable for us Classic case often people kind of negotiate part-time work when their kids are young and then maybe in a few years time they might want to go full-time or you know they might not but but only one in five managers had ever had that conversation proactively wow. and it's it's part of a a broader assumption we've had for many years which is flexible working sort of wrapped around the individual you know even the legislation doesn't help it's defined as the right to request as in you kind of need to earn your stripes work full time and then you have this sort of right to negotiate some kind of flexibility and and it's still for for quite a few firms very much about thinking about oh well it's up to the individual somebody will come to us and say i need to change my working pattern whereas actually what we need to do and many many good organizations like yourselves are doing it is to flip that to have a far more proactive conversation to say this this is a win-win so we should be having conversations in the workplace about how we enable teams to work in different working patterns in different ways. And that's the kind of direction of travel we're on. The, the challenge then is how do you equip managers? Because it's tough, right? You've got a team of 30 people and everyone wants to work less. So how, where do those two days go if you're going from five days to three? And we haven't really thought about job redesign um, for, for a long time. So, you know, those conversations often happen because a manager doesn't want to lose a great person. Someone said, I want to reduce my working hours. They'll say, fine. You can go from five days to three, but there isn't a mutual shared responsibility to say what exactly are we doing on those two days? Is that work not happening? Do we need to deploy it to somebody else? Do we hire someone in on a two-day week basis? Do we get a bundle of two-day week rock pieces of work and bump them into a full-time job? So the point is we've got to move from just wrapping around individuals and think about it at a team level. And then once you once you have the capability to think about that, which is what we do in the NHS and in other industries, you can start to then really move the dial on being able to facilitate flexibility. But, you know, that it's a hard thing to do, um, but you get it right and you get massive return. Yeah. I've always found it a bit strange, this idea of sort of the coincidence that five days is exactly the right amount of time to achieve any job. It's, it's almost like a form of sort of Parkinson's law, mm. that the job will expand to fill the time allotted to it. I hope Mariah, you can edit this out if you don't like it. But, <laughs> but you're you're on a on a part time contract, aren't you? Yes. With us, and uh, hopefully that fits around your work. Like, but it was the default consideration was never really. Oh, we need somebody to be in for five days a week to do this thing. It was we've got a task to do. We we need to produce more marketing content. We want to produce these podcasts. Can we find someone who can do it? And when someone comes along and says, yeah, I can do that for two or three days a week. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So I think you must have been slowly programming my brain over 20 years. <laughs> of ah, my company without me realizing. <laughs> oh, no. You've like some sort of worm. You just got in. I've been called many things in the past, but never a worm. <laughs> a worm. I'll, uh, Sorry. I'll take it in the way it was intended. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A nice worm. A nice earworm, brain worm. 
what did you think at the start of this process of starting the company when you started Women Like Us that you know now no longer think and vice versa? What, what were some of your assumptions? And I feel like I've kind of thrown you with a really tough question there. So to give you an example, with coronavirus, it was also it was always a belief of mine that society is sort of too stratified by age group. And we, you know, we stick old people in old people's homes and the young people go to school and nursery and, and even companies, they tend to have like an age demographic that runs through the company. And it, just mm. the whole of society seems to be stratified by age. Well, nothing sort of demolished that idea more than trying to homeschool for the last yeah. <laughs> and going, actually, children in the workplace is an, a nightmare. Because I always had this sort of weird idea of a sort of almost like a kibbutz, you know, where you'd have like an old people's home and a nursery and a business all on the same site. And they'd all kind of support each other. And the business could sort of help teach kids, you know, show how, how the things are learned at school apply to the workplace. You know, having homeschooled a lot now, it I'm like oh, no, it's really hard to run a company and have kids <laughs> flying around the place. <laughs> like uh, maybe, maybe, maybe some balance of that idea yeah. is is shown us. It's proved a lot of bad ideas, yeah. a lot of good ideas. Well, one of them is sort of commuting as well. I, I've always thought that sort of it's not really about flexible working. The thing that people really seem to hate is commuting. <laughs> like yeah. the, going to an office and doing a job. We, we've always kind of had local offices. So we had an office in Crystal Palace. So most people would just walk into work and it's like a five minute walk and then you pop home for lunch. You know, pick, it's easy to pick the kids up from school and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think really that's what a lot of people have enjoyed more than... So I just wondered what kind of ideas that you might have had at the beginning of this process about what flexible working is and what a good work-life balance is and how, how that might have changed. I think when we started... What we didn't really understand was the kind of journey that that organisations did have to go on to be able to create kind of genuinely sort of fair, flexible workplaces. And I think what we have, um, what we knew at the beginning was that there was demand and we knew that it was really hard for women like us to find good jobs that were flexible or part-time what we didn't know was the sheer scale of the demand and the lack of those jobs and I guess just one of the things that we've been doing over the years is a lot more research into that and so the things that have really struck me over the years is firstly just that scale you know we know and, and it's been massively sort of exposed through covid but it always was there you know so all of our sort of research and analysis suggests that you know, nine out of ten people in the uk either have some form of flex or, or or really want it in their next job so this is a huge agenda and i think that that taught us this wasn't just a women's issue you know this is this isn't a gender issue at all this is an issue just about people needing to work differently and in many instances needing to work less so i think you know we've learned that there's a big difference between flexible work and part-time work and actually the working less is really important because we are as a society working harder and harder and harder and we certainly have to know this last year we learned the sheer demand we also have learned the sheer lack of good quality flexible jobs you know what that looked like so so about five years ago we started doing this index as i mentioned earlier um and we track through a, a tech partner 
about however many vacancies there are advertised on jobs boards every year. So it's on average, you know, unfortunately, pre this pandemic, well, before the pandemic, it's around six million. It's it's gone right down. And we we've built the tool to understand how many of those jobs specify flexible or part time work from day one. And we've learned when we started it, it we were so shocked. We we knew anecdotally because people kept coming to us and saying, I get stuck, I get, you know, I, I negotiate flexibility, I go to I work part time and then I get stuck. I just get stuck in this job and I can't go anywhere. Um, because they look up and they look out and they can't find better jobs to apply for. So we learned that, you know, initially it was six percent. So you've got, you know, nine out of ten people in the workforce want flexibility, you've only got six percent of job vacancies now that's grown incrementally year on year beginning of last year we were at 15 percent, but that's still just over one in five jobs say anything about flexible or part-time working and the most shocking thing is over this last year we we track the vacancy market and the ratio and obviously less jobs but we're still looking at the ratio and it only went from 15 percent to 22 so in this last year we've learned a huge amount we've had a whole year of people in theory working differently working flexibly the whole world has had to work flexibly and yet we still only have two out of ten job vacancies in the market that that reference flexibility so i think we've kind of come full circle and what what we've learned is that you know there's this sort of assumption that it's it, it sort of exists but we just have we have a long way to go to change how employers and organizations think about this um and we've learned I guess we also, you know, what, what was a very personal um, and often the best businesses start, start from personal experience it was a very personal sort of journey has become a much bigger journey that for me has taken me into a real kind of passion around social justice. Because, you know, we've learned that the lack of good quality part time jobs is one of the main drivers for child poverty. You know, the, it, you know, why women fall out of work, they can't get back in, particularly single women. And it's also one of the biggest drivers for in-work poverty. So there are some really hard, bigger societal issues that could be tackled if we think about how we design work differently. And, you know, and yes, there's gender inequality and that is crucially important. And that is going backwards now with the pandemic. You know, the evidence suggests we're going, we're going the other way. Um, but we've also got issues around the ageing workforce. You know, we've, we've been doing work with Centre for Aging Better and we've, we know that in a few years' time, about three, well, I think it's, it's, a, it's certainly over half of the workforce is going to be 50 or above in about five years time and you know that aging population is a real worry if we want to retain talent we've got to be thinking about how differently people work so so I guess we've learned a lot and it's been fascinating but it's taught us we've just got to keep going with this There's, and, and I think that sort of social change piece particularly structural stuff takes a long time yeah so one of the things you've learned is just how big the problem is yeah yeah it sounds about. <laughs> big old yeah. journey there <laughs> and you know and that's hard uh, uh, yeah. a shift maybe from the employee side where you're trying to to find ways that, that employee can get in and trying to change organizations so they're more amenable to it that, yeah. that sounds like the bigger the bigger area I, it still confuses me that it would only be 20 20 percent of jobs when we when we recruit particularly for software engineers because they're, they're quite hard to find really good quality software engineers and when we speak to our recruitment consultant who you know we've got a really good relationship with and he knows us really well he's like this one can be anywhere and i'm like yep he's like great <laughs> you just you just opened up my market massively especially especially with something like software engineering because obviously you can do it remotely yeah. more probably more so than than other 
other jobs. But once you start saying, well, I don't even need to be in England, the whole world, yeah. find someone in the whole world who can, who can do this thing. Yeah. It makes his job so much easier. And of course you just, just increase the talent. Absolutely. Pool. And more, and more so, so, so now. I, I just, yeah. It just baffles me that people don't do it. I don't, I don't understand why you wouldn't. Well, hopefully, hopefully when we come out the other side of this and, and we build back better and all of those good, good things, um, we can encourage businesses to be doing this because you're right. I mean, and particularly small businesses, you just, you open up a massive talent pool that's, that, that otherwise you wouldn't be able to access by doing this. And then, um, you know, people are on the move. People are moving out of cities. People are kind of finding different ways to work. Um, so I think all kinds of businesses are recognizing that they're, that they're going to have to, but we just need more of them to just say so. Cause otherwise it's, you know, as a candidate, it's, it's a, sort of, it's a bit like a kind of game of chicken. It's like, do you, you know, do you apply for the job and, and not say anything about the fact that you need to work flexibly? Do you ask and, and risk them not even considering you? Do you, when do you talk about it? Do you, you know, is it in the elevator with the PA on the way to the interview? Is it, you know, do you make them love you and then you hit them with it? So it's, and it shouldn't be all on individuals. It shouldn't be an individual responsibility to have to worry about that. We should, we should help candidates by just being open, you know, and, and sometimes there isn't flex or sometimes there, you know, yes, you can work remotely, but it's a full-time job. That's okay. Sometimes it's, well, actually, if you're really good, maybe you can do this in three days a week instead of five, but let's understand the task that we expect. And, you know, there are lots of different ways of thinking about this. And particularly, I mean, we've been doing some work recently on construction sites, you know, fascinating how constructions have been forced to adapt in terms of working practices through COVID, obviously, you know, social distancing, and it's been really challenging, but just enabling people to work in staggered shifts, you know, lots, these are many guys working incredibly long hours normally, um, and someone told us the other day that just a simple adjustment of being able to start a bit later uh, meant that he was able to actually take his his daughter to school for the first time in years. He said before the pandemic, he didn't even know where his daughter's classroom was. Now he's on first name terms with a teacher, you know, and, mm. you know, other people saying they were able to get some good, healthy food on the way home because they'd adjusted their shift as opposed to just sort of eating out of cans because you so so there's all kinds of benefits that people people can get from just very small adjustments in how they work mm. and those those benefits i mean they sort of, they all sound like soft benefits but actually they're quite large financial benefits to those organizations so just plug our e-rostering system here but one of the uh you know we don't normally do heavy-handed product placement in our, in our podcast <laughs> but whilst we're on the subject the, one of the things we've been doing with our e-rostering system is, yes, there are kind of uh, contractual requirements for junior doctors, for example. You know, you can only work so many night shifts back to back and uh, certain gaps between shifts and there's European working time directive, although I'm not quite sure how that's changed. But, you know, those, those sorts of, um, those sorts of uh, contractual obligations. But one of the other things that we code into our e-rostering system and that the AI tries to calculate is preferences and things like um, childcare cover being one of them. But also, you know, I'm working with my partner who is also a doctor in the hospital. And so if our shifts match, that's really good because it means we're off at the same time. So if you can provide me with a schedule. And so we, we put all of those preferences in. And then the AI system tries to work out the best match, not only for all of the contractual obligations, but all for all, for all of the preferences of the doctors. And it sounds like a kind of nice to have, but actually the impact of that is less sickness, less, oh, 
uh, you know, I can't, I can't do that. I can't, I can't move my wedding. <laughs> I'm not going to move my wedding, you know? It, it, and so you don't end up hiring that locum doctor to cover that shift just because you didn't, you didn't think to accommodate their wedding that they've been planning for a year or whatever. Yeah. They sound like nice to haves, but actually when it does, when it comes down to it, this is, this saves on spends of locum agencies and things, yeah. and, you know, with, with good AI, you can actually optimize that to an incredible extent and from some of our calculations it can be as much as 20 25 percent reduction in in agency spending you're talking billions of pounds of of resource across the nhs i think that's phenomenal and kevin i think you're right to plug it because i know we've talked about this in the past and we've done some work on self-rostering and team-based rostering in the nhs and you know even before this pandemic i mean we had you know forty thousand nursing vacancies at any one time in the NHS, that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And like you say, the rates of sickness, absence, and um, and all the challenges. And you know, the NHS People Plan highlights that one of the main reasons nurses leave is is lack of work life balance. And when you drill down into it, you're absolutely right. It's about the preferences. It's ha- it's ironically, I think in the NHS, the com- flexible working is often seen as a dirty word. Actually, what we mean is predictable working. It's like I want to know where my shifts are so I can plan my life. And we certainly found that that one of the challenges was exactly as you say, you know, there are lots of constraints around how you plan a roster and a lot of those are rightly um, around patient care and safety, et cetera. But the preference piece on your workforce tends to be way down the bottom in, in, in that hierarchy of need. But inverting that and giving nurses some input and, and also doing it in such a way that recognises that all nurses may need a fair input into preferences because one of the things that we found when we did our we we, we did a number of pilots in with NHS trust on team rostering as well and we found that that the challenge was it was often the nurses who had kids that were able to pick the shifts that they wanted um, and the nurses that didn't were further down the pecking order which created lots of tension and frustration but you know we should all justifiably be allowed to like you say plan weddings plan plan things in our lives in advance I will say that is the benefit of AI is it doesn't care. It's like, it's this sort of emotionless mm-hmm. robot. You, it doesn't matter if you're friends with the AI system, it doesn't care. Yeah. And, um, you know, on that point, one of the things we're trying to put in there is like an economy of preferences so that when, when you see the request for leave, obviously August, bang, 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 you know, it's, it's a difficult time August in a lot of hospitals because they have the rotation of, of doctors and staff in the August rotation and everyone wants to go on holiday. So it's yeah. just this, this awful. Yet when when you actually put it into the AI system, what you realize is that not everybody does want August off. And as a result, you're placing people who perhaps don't have kids in the in those August shifts, but it means that their preferences when they want to go on holiday do come up and the same with things like Diwali and Christmas and Hanukkah so the AI sort of just does the calculation it's this data nerd it's like Spock you know sort of unfeeling (laughs) but in (laughs) but in that way is also super egalitarian yeah it's very powerful and it's a fair it it is a fair process and you know there's a difference between a fair process and fair outcomes but I think that sort of equality of opportunity is a principle that we should have in how we we enable people to have that input into how much, when and where they work, which is, you know, there's there's an element of flex and control in every role and you should, everybody should have the input. The outcome may be different, but as long as you are 
consistent and transparent. And like you say, you know, the benefit of AI does that. I think it's I think there's a cultural piece that sits with it, which ward managers and as we know, is is how they I think the challenge then is, which I know you support with training on, is how we enable people to interact with that AI to make sure that people don't bypass the system and end mm. up back with the with the well, can I just flip flip that for that because I'm masking you nicely. But it's 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 huge. I mean, and digitization more broadly, we've seen with a lot of our clients over the course of this year, whether it's NHS or other sectors, one thing the pandemic has done is absolutely forced so many firms to embrace digital in a way that they were thinking of but hadn't had to. And it's just fast track. They've they've had to. And I think there's so much potential there to enable us to 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 work more effectively with with the um the opportunities that that digitization is bringing can i ask something about an area of flexible working that i don't think really gets covered at all sure often it's the when where how but the what of what you work on you know the actual because there's a specialization industry generally you know the adam smith specialization <laughs> is there flexibility in what what work's being done on on actually sort of flexibility of what you actually do at work? And I appreciate like not all professions can really can really do this. It's not like you could be a dentist and sort of try out doing podcasting. Or, I, I, are you talking about f- functional flexibility as in sort of task based role? Yeah, based? like you know what what sort of work you do, so you can sort of expand different yeah. skill areas in the job that you do so that you can explore different ways of being if that makes sense yeah i mean there's 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 loads there's lots of really interesting things happening i mean on a purely sort of i guess task and what they call functional flexibility which is different to the kind of flexible working we've been talking about with functional flexibility there's been some really interesting developments i mean in retail they've been doing a huge amount because obviously you know the the sort of the rise of digital and bigger narrative about future work and the robots taking over jobs etc but fundamentally what what some of the really big retailers are doing is is training teams to work on in one industry on but and lots of different functions so that you can deploy your teams more effectively but also what you're enabling people to do is learn different skills that enable more opportunities for progression so you know used to be maybe you just be trained on gross groceries and mm. <laughs> in a store and actually now it could be you'd be trained on groceries, but you might have also an element of kind of workforce planning training. You might be thinking about kind of there's a sales bit to it. There's various other facets that means that you in sort of industries like that, we can mobilize people to do different things and also to sort of maximize the kind of human skill set functions that are around more creative, relational skills where we are replacing some of these activities with um, uh, with digital functions. So so there are there are some interesting sort of developments there. And then I think there's a broader, whole broader conversation about how people want to develop in work and choose the kind of work they want to do. And certainly, I mean it's a it's a generational thing, but you know, we're seeing more than ever before. And some of our bigger clients who are trying to attract really smart young things have recognized that they need to understand that people will have want to have portfolio careers and they might want to do a two day a week job that brings some money in, but they're also doing their own little kind of gig thing and they're starting up a business or they might want to freelance or they might want to spend six months of the year not working. So they want to compress, you know, a, a sort of a 
seasonal job over a particular period of time. I mean, we work with PwC and they've got a really interesting sort of flex, flexi bank of, of people, a sort of flex talent pool of people who registered with them who just want those kind of fixed contracts over certain periods. And there's so much demand there. So I think there's a, there's a, there's huge potential. The challenge, obviously, if, if you're going back to the beginning point, which is if you want to hold on to really good people is how big is the bandwidth there? Because, uh, you know, you don't, you don't want people to sort of be disappearing on you if, if they're really valued, but, but we all have peaks and troughs in businesses. And so I think there are, there's some interesting, interesting developments coming through. I think having said all of that, the biggest challenge right now though is, you know, we are in a pandemic and job security is critical for so many people. All those nice to haves, unfortunately, particularly in the freelance world are in certain industries are, are, are not there right now you know the creative industries have been decimated you know and people are really struggling so i think there's a there's a sort of art of the possible but right now you know there's a much bigger job to be done and you know it's 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 the sort of job for government and how we can make sure that people who are uber flexible as in their freelance are not just falling through the cracks and and really struggling and we know millions of them are um Mm. because there just isn't any work yeah so one place where we we see that sort of functional f- flexibility, like one one of the core examples of it, is sometimes we'll get somebody coming through who who basically wants to do my job, and that that's cool. Like there are people who want to be entrepreneurial, and really Sard is a stepping stone for them to to start building their own business. And actually, I really like those people. I'm, I've got some particularly in mind, <laughs> but they, you know, do they? that we foster them and even in their appraisal process another one of your brain brain worms i think that seeped into my conscious somehow is that our appraisal process is very much about the development of the person because partly because if it's about the development of the person we get the best version of that person and if they're working for our company that can only be a good thing but mm. sometimes it is somebody who's learning with us training up but they've really got an eye on their career path and and their life outside the business but then when when i'm planning something it, it sort of strategically it, it's actually quite nice to have their their input on it and say oh what what's going on there what what's the what's the thought process around that why why this way because they're you know they're sort of training their own entrepreneurial brain and their own strategic mm-hmm. brain for the business and it is it, it's quite a good good thing and we've got this sort of skill stack mentality as well in the company in fact it's written right at the top of our business plan which is the one of the strategies is to increase the skill stack of the team so it might be that we do these writing workshops which is to say that writing is just a general core skill of anyone you know writing a good email um, writing good code writing good documentation that, that's kind of what yeah. i meant by sort of functional flexibility is like can you yeah. can you sort of think laterally about skill sets that um that are multiplicative rather than additive yeah. it's not like oh you know you add this skill and therefore it's an extra skill is you add the yeah. skill and it is helpful across everything else that you do you're yeah. able to write software and and sell it because you you know persuasive skills or you know writing skills or you're able to communicate it better to the team and that's very powerful because you're investing in them and you'll get the return um and and particularly for small businesses i think not boxing people in like you say so because the more people feel they can contribute the more engaged they'll be with you and the more you're able to enhance their skill set across different functions like you say the more you can deploy them but i think also what's really important um, and we know this from all the evidence is working for organizations with purpose 
is really, really powerful. And um, and again, people coming into the labour market, we know, you know, kind of millennials and Gen X below, and I never remember all the different terms, but um, people younger than me, <laughs> um, for them, a sense of purpose. It's a sort of Simon Sinek, you know, so what bit? Mm. You know, why are we why are we here? If you've got that strand that runs through and you're able to involve people in strategic conversations about the future direction of the organization, it's really important. I mean, it's like a time-wise, you know, we have a social mission. People who come to work for us because they want to help us to deliver on that social mission to enable a workplace where people don't have to compromise their careers because they need to work flexibly. And it just and it's really important, I think, when you're developing businesses to just keep coming back to that because you can drift very easily. Um, and you know, the sort of for, for me, the sort of social business model of double bottom line, and sometimes it should be triple bottom line, but of you know, we measure our financial impact, our commercial, how are we doing? How much how much have we sold? How much, you know, how much are we making in terms of profit or whatever? But which all goes back into business anyway. But we also measure our social impact. You know, how many people have we helped this year? How many people, how many managers have we helped to think differently about flex? How many jobs have we helped to unlock? And I think that that's really important in 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 helping people feel engaged. If there's one thing our listeners should know, what would that be? So if you're a listener and you're running a business, just that there's flexibility in every job and please think about what that could be. And if you're somebody uh, working somewhere, don't be afraid to ask. But what I would say is if you want to work in a different way, the key thing these days is to be clear how you're going to do it, not just why you want to do it. Because I think what we've what we've learned over the years is, you know, we, we're trying to change the jobs market one job at a time here. And it's a shared responsibility for, for people who run organisations and people who work for them. But I think my, my kind of one hope as we come out of all of this is that we do have a, a try and build back a fairer jobs market that doesn't exclude people purely because they don't want to work nine to five in an office and uh and if we can do that then you know we've got lots of potential i'm a little concerned that you've been running some sort of psychops operation some neuro linguistic programming on me over all these years (laughs) and you've programmed me in some way that i was unaware of It's like minions, isn't it? I feel like I'll take my my face off and I'll be purple underneath. Um, So I'm advocating for something I care very much about, Kevin. And and the point of that is I talk about it a lot. So if it's been subliminal, it's probably because every time you talk to me, I talk about this. (laughs) Yeah, I'm only kidding. It's been great. And actually, I I just wanted to thank you really for because I I do think you probably have instilled some ideas that have been really beneficial to our business, but probably hopefully the right thing to do as well. Well, well, likewise, I mean, I think the work that you're doing is is fantastic. I think the way you manage your people is great because you do genuinely, from what I know at SARD, give people autonomy and control and you trust them to do what they do and they do it really, really well for you. Great people to work for you. But I also think what you're doing in the NHS is really important because we need different tools more now than ever before to to make sure that you know our frontline workers are able to to care for 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 patients and also care for their families and we've got Mm. to find different ways of making that work so so i'm really pleased if it's if it's had any influence at all then um, but keep doing the good work and keep doing what you're doing yeah whereas one nhs is one and a half million people so you know if between us uh, we can move move the culture on flexible working in the NHS through technology and cultural change. 
That's a good thing, right? That'd be a nice goal for the next 10 years, Kevin. Yeah, I'll, I'll hold that. you to that. Let's do that. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, it's been a pleasure. It's been really fun talking to you both. Thank you. Thank you to all our listeners who tuned in to today's episode of Sardisms. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. There's a lot of work to be done throughout society and within businesses when it comes to more flexible workforce. You can find out more about Sard by visiting sardjv.co.uk or send us a tweet on Twitter at sardjv and use hashtag Sardisms. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you.